If you've got your Bibles with you or your digital devices, uh, we're going to be getting stuck into God's Word now. It is Acts 6, starting at verse 1 to 7, and it's on the screens, and Joe's going to read it for us. I apologise for the list of names that occurs in this passage in advance. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parnenus, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Morning, everybody. Well done, Joe. Good list of names. Came up with some odd ones whilst you were practicing earlier, didn't you? <laughs> I won't repeat what those odd ones were. You can ask her later on, but the word procreate did come up <laughs> rather than procurus. <clears throat> well, today we come to the end of a series that we've been looking at here at Riverside uh, called When the End is the Beginning. When we've been looking uh, at the end of Luke's Gospel and the beginning of the book of Acts. And of course, the reality in life is that the end of things often is the beginning of new things, whether those things are wanted or not. But the same, of course, is true in the scriptures, where the end of the book of Luke obviously leads to the book of Acts. Luke, the guy, wrote both. There is the first book and then the sequel. But of course, it's all about how the ending of Jesus' life, and then he comes back from the dead, And then his ministry on earth comes to a close, as it were, and yet it doesn't. Because at the beginning of the book of Acts, we realized that we thought Jesus' ministry came to an end, but it didn't. It's just the beginning of his ministry, which is then lived out by his spirit through his people. And today we're coming to the end of, if you like, the opening section, chapter 6. And as we get into this, I'd love for you to answer in your own head, you don't have to answer out loud, an honest question. And here it is. Do you believe that you have the potential to change the world? With all that you've got going on, all of your background, all of your heritage, all of your circumstances, all of your fears, all of your uncertainty, all of your questions, do you believe that you have the potential to change the world? And then just look around you for a moment. Feel free to do so. Look at the people next to you. Second question is this, and again, this is when in your own heads, not in your uh, out loud. If you're honest, do you believe that we, together, have the potential to change the world? With all of our background, with all of our experiences, with all of our uncertainty, with all of our questions, with all of our mess, 
do we have the potential to change the world? It's an important, those two questions, important ones to ask because as we look at the beginning of the book of Acts, we see a bunch of misfits and we today are in this room because they changed the world. We are here, whether you're somebody who follows Jesus or not, you are here right now because a small group of mixed up, messed up people with different backgrounds, different frameworks, different educations changed the world. And the question for us that lingers in our minds is, will we be that generation, that church, that people, that individual, who then maybe 2,000 years later on, there may be people who will be able to look back and cast their steps because a little group of people in Birmingham changed the world. And as we jump into this this morning, I want to ask how did they do it and therefore how might we do it? And it all began with this verse at the beginning of the book of Acts. Jesus has risen from the dead and he's with his followers. They haven't got the faintest idea what is happening. They are freaked out because they thought he was dead. And then they're even more freaked out because he's alive. What's happening? And Jesus says, wait here in Jerusalem. I'll send my spirit. And when my spirit comes, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will then be my witnesses. Where? Here in Jerusalem and then wider than that in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, even to Birmingham. Of course, I added the extra bit on. And as we go through the book of Acts, you see three, one phrase that comes up three times and it's this. The word of God spread. The word of God spread. The word of God spread. It's as if Luke, the writer, is saying, Jesus promised this, and then tells stories about what these people do, and by the way, the word of God spreads. So, at the, in chapter 12, we read these words. After Herod has persecuted them, and then Herod dies, we read these words, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. As it were, the author is saying, no matter what opposition comes against you, the word of God will continue to spread and flourish. And then in chapter 19, we read about some people that had been practicing sorcery and doing all sorts of voodoo witchcraft type stuff. And then the, the disciples share the message, the good news about Jesus, and they bin all of that stuff because they re realize that Jesus is way more powerful and way better. And we read the words, a number who'd practiced sorcery, brought their skulls together, burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the skulls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Two times. And then at the very end of the reading that we just had is the first mention of it. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased. A large number of priests became obedient to the faith. It's as if the author is writing to say external opposition will not stop the word of God spreading. Any kind of spirituality will not stop the word of God spreading. And so here at chapter six, what's he saying? I think he's saying the church won't stop the word of God spreading. 
and all our misorganization, all our misfittedness, all our weirdness, I look at myself, not any individual, <laughs> the word of God will continue to spread. And the reality is, as I've said, we are here because somebody told somebody who told somebody who told somebody who told somebody about Jesus. And so, how did they do that? What things are important for us today from this passage to put into practice, to note what they did or what they weren't doing so that we might continue to be involved in spreading the word of God? I think there's three things. Here they are. The first thing they did is this. They cared for all. Because as this early church grew, there were a few challenges in this community. As there it is in any church growth, there's challenges. From outside, people don't like them, but also inside in chapter five in Acts, if you wanna look back, you've got Ananias and Sapphira who are trying to deceive the church from inside, not good. But here in chapter six, we've got another big problem in the life of the church, here it is. In those days when the number of disciples were increasing, the church is growing, the word of God spreading, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. It's a normal sort of problem, a practical problem. You've got some Jews from different backgrounds, some from a sort of Greek background that spoke Greek and all of that. And then you've got the kind of the Hebrew ones who lived in Jerusalem. They're sort of pure Jerusalem people through and through. And what was happening is the daily distribution of food was not going to the Greek Jews as much as to the Hebrew Jews. And so understandably, it all kicks off. Something to note, by the way, the daily distribution of food. The church was known as a place that met the needs of the people, including the food. Now, we don't know why there was this disconnect. Could it have been that the Greek-speaking Jews were viewed as sort of second-class citizens? Because they're not from Jerusalem. It's a bit like if you're from Dudley and you come to Birmingham. Do you know what I mean? That sort of friction. I imagine, I don't know. Or somebody from the south, yeah, very good. Or somebody from the south coming to Birmingham, very good. So maybe that was the reason. They were sort of viewed as second-class citizens, not pure Brummies. Or maybe it's because simply they couldn't understand the language so well. And so when something was communicated, the Greek-speaking Jews didn't quite get it as much because they didn't understand Hebrew in the same way. Or maybe it was just simply an administrative mistake. We don't know. But what is clear is this was not a good thing and it doesn't reflect well on the church. And it got me thinking about us. The challenge of growth and the challenge of being in a church like Riverside with so many people and so many things is the challenge that people can get missed. That's why we have groups, life groups, community groups, so that they're a smaller sphere of people so that people can connect in. And if you're not in one, can I commend one to you? Head to the welcome point afterwards. But I'm so grateful as one who has come in from the outside, from the south, that Riverside is a welcoming community that does care for all. But I guess there's a question for all of us. Who is there in our sphere 
who might be missed? Who is there that we know of for whatever reason, but the care is not quite extending to them? Who won't or who can't speak up for themselves and need others to say, uh, don't forget. But there's a second question, I think, and perhaps this is a bit more difficult. Is anyone being missed because they don't fit in? Or because they don't feel they fit in or because we don't feel they fit in? Because they might see themselves as somehow other. Because they're not, quotes like us. And that could be for a whole variety of reasons. Educational background. I remember in a previous church talking with a woman who felt so on the edge because she wasn't educated to a, uh, a level standard. And she didn't understand some of the words we were using. And the shock, as I realized, even the very words we used in talks were excluding somebody. It could be because of family background that people see somehow their history that maybe they don't even want others to know means they don't quite fit in with us who seem to have it all together. It could be because of our racial background that we feel we're kind of on the edge or not kind of one of us. It could be because of political background. I remember being shocked in a different church, I hasten to say, around election time to see how somebody wasn't cared for because they voted conservative. <laughs> because the person that was providing the care couldn't believe that's, you know, and you finish the story. <laughs> Who is it in our lives that we've got slight blind spot to? That means the care we extend doesn't quite go to them. They were challenged, this first century church to not make sure that people don't slip off the radar in your own life. So they cared for all. But the second thing is then what they did about this. The community tries to deal with this issue to try and make sure that all from all backgrounds are cared for equally. And here's where we get to something that I think is a real danger and I think the reason the writer is putting this in is to flag up something for churches down through history and I'm not sure we talk about that much. So here goes. I think they remain focused. Because in the middle of this challenge about care and making sure they care for all that nobody regardless of background is left out, the apostles realize there is an even greater danger. Here it is. Did you catch it? So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn the responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Do you remember why has the church expanded? Because the word of God has spread. Why are we here today? Because the word of God spread. The apostles know that there are many good things in the life of church, many necessary things they need to do, and yet there is a real risk here. 
it's so important that all are cared for and yet it's also so important that the ministry of the word of God spreads that they need different people involved. They can't do it all. And do you see what they need to focus on? Prayer and the ministry of the word of God. Can I let you into a little secret and I may well get into trouble about this. You come and ask me afterwards. As a church leader today, some of the most difficult things to do are prayer and the ministry of the word of God. And therefore, in a busy, thriving church like Riverside, it is so easy to shift our attention away from the hard work of prayer and the ministry of the word of God. A couple of years ago, a well-known Christian leader in this country uh, made the headlines a little bit as he gave an interview that was in some of the kind of Christian newspapers and magazines in which he basically was saying that church leaders today need to be more equipped to know how to run businesses than they do to know their Bibles. And what he was basically getting at is that lots of theological education trains people with head knowledge, but actually when it comes to running a church and all that, they're not sure what to do. And I get that and I resonate that. But my heart sank as we have to ask whether that is right. In a world of email, constant communication, there's so much need, isn't there? But it is easy, can I say, to sideline prayer and preaching and the ministry of the word of God. My friend is a church leader in London. When he went to his church, it was fascinating. He said, I think, Tim, I think I'm the only church in the world, certainly in this country, who's, who's ever had to tell his congregation to stop praying. Because his church was a culture and the cultural legacy of this church was that they spent so much time praying that they had neglected the word of God. That's rare. <laughs> My hunch is there are many other churches that spend so much time in the ministry of the word of God and a little time praying. Can I urge you to pray for us? But can I also urge you to think in your own heart? Where does prayer fit in? Where does the ministry of the word of God? A prayerful defendance that God, everything relies on God and therefore an active obedience that we play our part. Please do pray for me, for us in this because it is so easy to focus on other really good things but in the long run, it's dangerous. It's hard work to be disciplined. So please do help me. And can I just encourage you, those of you in this community who are always banging on about one thing or another, thank you. Because even though sometimes those things are difficult to hear, it is important that we need to keep focused on preaching and prayer. Because otherwise, the word of God doesn't spread. Question me afterwards if you disagree. So what did they do? They cared for all, they remained focused. And then here's the third thing. In the middle of that, therefore, they knew they needed to develop community leadership. They needed to appoint other people to be involved in the various different good, important things that needed to happen. The task of caring for all was so important, they needed people to do it. It wouldn't just happen. 
And the task of sharing the message about Jesus was so important that they couldn't do it. And so look what happens. And this is where we get to the beautiful list of names. They chose seven men. Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. Seven people. But you notice seven things, uh, several things, not seven things, several things about this group. Do you notice their criteria for leadership? Well, let's go back. What do we say? Let's skip back to the, the other passage. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. They didn't say we need to choose several people who've got a serious business background in caring for all. They didn't choose we need to choose seven degree educated people who know the ins and outs of what is the best type of care so that it can carry on. They didn't choose several different people who had the financial resources so that this could do well. No, the criteria was full of the spirit wisdom. So what did they do? They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Uh, and we presume the others too. And they lay their hands on them and send them out. Can I say, I think that is immensely liberating for all of us. Because I would guess there are many people in this room right now who feel they have little to offer, little old me. They don't feel well-educated. They feel on the fringe. They're not sure what life looks like. You've got so many questions. You're not really sure. And you're just trying to struggle on. Well, I don't really know what part I can play. And yet the criteria for the crucial task is simply being full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, which comes from God anyway. Can I therefore say you, you, you have a massive role to play. Regardless of how well of you think of yourself or not, you have a crucial part to play, being full of the Spirit, full of faith. You can change the world. And can I apologize if you've always felt that you don't somehow make the cut because you're not as well educated as you look at others or you come from a different background or different heritage or you're not quite sure where you fit in or you've still got so many questions and you somehow therefore felt not as important, quotes. Can I say you are and you have the potential to change history? And do you notice something else, though, about the list? Notice the mixture of names, the curious names. There's a mixture of Hebrew and Greek names there. This leadership was representative of the people they were trying to serve. They knew it was important to care for all, and so therefore they needed people who were in, who were in the all, as it were, to be involved in the caring. What does that look like for us? Here as a church, might I suggest, we want to be a church that more and more reflects the community that we are in. In terms of background, education, framework, race, all that. And Riverside has so much to be thankful for. The way men and women work together is just beautiful and still sadly unusual. But maybe there are other gaps where we need you to play your role so that we can be a community that cares for all. And as I come to a close, if that's true in Riverside, 
what about in our just normal day-to-day individual lives? The reality is you can make a massive difference for history's sake in the world that you are in. How? Being full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, and then simply keeping on spreading the word of God. Being the kind of people who just with a word, others might say weeks later, actually, can I just ask you what you meant by that? It reminded me recently, um, I won't say who, uh, I I recently, and I'm not saying this because I got it right, it just shocked me, (laughs) I shouldn't have done, but it did. Uh, Somebody was going through some health issues themselves and I simply said in passing, just to let you know, I'll pray for you. I didn't do it there and then, I just said I will do it. And he knew I was a church leader, so that was kind of a good thing, tick, brilliant, nice. Just last week, his wife has now been diagnosed with something major and he said to Claire on the phone, could you ask him to say a prayer for me because I know he did about my neck. (laughs) A little off-the-cuff comment, you do not know the impact and the potential you can have in your sphere right now so that the word of God might continue to spread. So that who knows, in decades, in centuries, in thousands of years later, people might say thank you that we carried on spreading the word of God full of faith, full of the spirit. May it be so. Let's pray together.